Welcome back to the Mies Tech Missions podcast. This is Jake, and uh, I've been sharing with you about our team strategy. Last week, I shared with you about the phases of our strategy and the reasons why we we do what we do here. This week, I want to share with you about our, our end goal of our strategy, why we have chosen to make a healthy church the end goal of our strategy. Now, uh, throughout the history of missions, uh, there have been different end goals. Maybe it is just the conversion of people to a new religion, uh, the pre- preaching of the gospel in different places. Uh, sometimes people think that missions is anything that a Christian does in a different culture. So you could be a Christian businessman and or, or woman. You could be a teacher or translator. You could do various number of different things. And while these are all good aspects of missiology or missions, we should say, uh, that that's not necessarily our end goal. What do you mean? Well, there's a lot of poverty where we live. We could meet that need. We could do some things to help people uh, raise up out of their poverty. Or there are a lot of abandoned children, so we could start an orphanage, or what they call here a casa hogar, and or an albergue where, where kids come in who still have parents, but they come to live, uh, kind of as a, like a boarding school or a foster school. Uh, we could run a soup kitchen, or we could do various other things that benefit the community. And these are, of course, things that we do. We we offer English classes. We've uh, offered Celebrate Recovery. We have gone to the schools, and we've done activities, sports camps, and things like that with the kids. We do a lot with the local believers, uh, local Christians in the area, including uh, helping out with their medical brigades, uh, where, the, where doctors come in from the outside, and uh, eye doctors, medical doctors, uh, dentists come in, and they meet the needs of the people, and there's clothing drives and food drives and things like that. And these are all things that we enjoy being a part of. But for us, and for the IMB, the end goal is always healthy churches, which is very interesting because the Great Commission is go and make disciples of all nations or all people groups, all ethnos, all people groups, uh, ethnic groups, uh, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. And the idea that this is the essential command of, of, of the sent out one is that we go out to make disciples, discipling being the end, really the real end goal of, of all of this. Followers of Jesus who are, are, are making other followers of Jesus who are all following him and obeying all the things that he has taught. Uh, Matthew 28. Acts chapter 1, you, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in all places. And this idea that sent ones go out to all places. Acts chapter 2, everybody was hearing in their own languages the wonders of, of God. And, and so this is where we're at. That, that the, the, the command of Scripture is to go make disciples. That's, that's what it's really all about. And sent ones go out and make disciples. So why is it that, that we have chosen to plant healthy churches or make a healthy church the end goal of our strategy here in this place? Well, because that's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, we don't have the privilege of a front row seat 
to hear Jesus' teachings. Like what we have recorded in the scripture are very limited. John actually said it in his gospel that the whole world would be filled with books if everything that Jesus said and did was recorded. Well, we just have one of those books. And so we, we, we didn't, we don't have the privilege of seeing and hearing everything that Jesus did and say, but what we do have in Acts chapter one is what he says is that everything that I, that I have said and done, you're going to re, to do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we have to look a lot at the example of the early church, specifically the apostles, the 11 plus Matthias plus, plus Paul, uh, and the others who went out such as Philip and, and, and Stephen, uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and all those that are mentioned in the book of, of Acts. Uh, how did they understand? Now, specifically the, the 11 in the upper room uh, and then after Pentecost, uh, including the 120 that were there with them, they had the privilege of hearing Jesus's, all of Jesus's teachings. And so they, they more clearly understood exactly what Jesus said and what he meant when he said. And we're, so we're looking back over the course of 2,000 years. Uh, and, of course, we have the, 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 the authority of Scripture uh, and the benefit of church history to look at as well. Uh, but... What we really put a lot of of authority into is what we see in the book of Acts. Why? Because these men and women show us how they understood the words of Jesus. That's very important for us to understand. Like, when we, without their testimony, we're going to just kind of have to fill in the gaps and try to interpret the Great Commission in light of what we understand it to be. So uh, go make disciples means I could do any number of different things. As long as it's cross-cultural, then it's a mission. Now, don't hear me say that those things are not important. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is I want to look at the lives and the ministries of the sent out ones in the book of Acts because they tell me how they understood the Great Commission. And they understood the Great Commission as planting churches. How do we know that? Because wherever they, wherever they successfully left a town, they left a church. Now, that doesn't mean that they left a building with a steeple on top. But that does mean that they left groups of, of Christians, baptized Christians, with recognized leadership and a clear doctrine to be followed, a life and a practice to be followed in every place that they went. Well, that's why we, we, we have an end goal of, of healthy church. Think about Acts chapter 2, the very first thing that happens. You know, what a great problem to have. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so what is the very first thing that the, the apostles do? They form them into groups that meet daily with the purpose of learning the correct doctrine, of living together, praying together, of worshiping together, of ministering to one another's needs, and of sharing the gospel. Sounds very much like a church. That doesn't mean that they identified as a church because they still met within the temple courts every day. And they didn't really identify them at themselves as, as non-Jews, specifically in Acts chapter 2, as a new religion. But 
they did identify as followers of Jesus, and they had the aspects that we look to as healthy church. What, is, what does it mean? It means that, in my opinion, when the disciples looked at, at, at the situation before them, understanding the great commission of, of Jesus Christ the Lord uh, to go and make disciples, they best understood that commission as being fulfilled, best fulfilled, through the planting of new groups, the starting of new groups, new churches. So that's why we, we believe in, in, in church church formation is because we believe that's how they did it. Now, now there is a debate within, within discipleship, even, that plays into this. Jesus made disciples differently than the early church made disciples. What does that mean? Do, what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus gathered together a group. Now, now, Jesus began his ministry, his earthly ministry, preaching to the crowds. And he invited these men to come and see. And over the course of several months, he began to invite them to come closer uh, and then to come be with him, then come to remain with him. But this was a process that occurred over the course of three years. And over the course of these three years, these people uh, would live with Jesus and every day hear him teach and see his life lived out. And so Jesus' form of disciple-making was living with these people. Now, in the very beginning of his ministry, it started out with the crowds, and then in the course of time as he, near, as he came closer to the cross, that group became much smaller and much smaller and much smaller. And if you study the ministry of Jesus chronologically, you will see that the closer he got to the cross, the more time he spent with the disciples and the less time he spent with the crowds. Uh, that's very enlightening when we consider the way that we do discipleship or disciple-making uh, specifically, in that Jesus has started out big and narrowed down. But specifically in the context of what we know, you know, we, we knew that there was 120 that believed in, in, in Acts chapter 1 that were gathered together in the upper room. We also know that in Luke, he sends out the 70. So there was another group within that group. And then within that group, we, of course, we have the 12. And then within that group, we have the three of Peter, James, and John. And then ultimately, it came down to maybe even Peter being the one that he spent the most time with. So Jesus' method of disciple-making was life-on-life life with, with small group of people multiplying himself or his life into the life of his followers. And that was best done, small group, life-on-life. Life. That was best done uh, walking with and spending significant amount of time with. Now, does that mean that Jesus' method for disciple-making uh, is the method for all people in all places for all time? Probably not. Uh, because these men who who had that experience with Jesus Christ, uh, they didn't replicate that. They didn't reproduce that. And so that's the debate that uh, specifically what is between Jesus' method of disciple-making and uh, Pauline's strategy of disciple-making is that come, come to the book of Acts and now they're faced with a problem of how to dis di disciple make or make disciples of thousands of people. Now we're going from Jesus 
and the 12 to the the 11 plus Matthias and thousands. So logistically, Jesus' method of disciple making couldn't have been reproduced in the in the early church. Those men could not live with those thousands of people and, and do life with those thousands of people. Just from a logistics standpoint, uh, the necessity of planting churches became very evident from from the day of Pentecost onward. And so we look to that and we see that the disciples means of disciple making, at least in my interpretation of, of the book of Acts, is they interpreted the great commission of disciple making as best done through planting small groups or small, that, that meet together or meet regularly and fulfill the purposes of the church. We get to Acts chapter 6, and in Acts chapter 6, there's still not a formally recognized church, but there is something developing. And of course, this is the, the issue of the, the, the widows not receiving their daily distribution of food, and they come to the apostles and they complain uh, about this, a legitimate injustice that was being done. And the disciples say, well, we can't stop preaching and praying to wait tables. It doesn't mean that they didn't think that the widow's cause was not necessary. Just goes to show that they didn't interpret that as the their primary task as sent out ones. Their primary task was not to meet the 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 felt needs ministries, the felt needs of the people in their community. I mean, they didn't care about them. In fact, they did care about it. They found a better solution. Let's let's mobilize and equip leaders in this group to meet the needs, the the felt needs, the human needs of the people who are suffering and the injustice that injustice that are occurring, so that they could dedicate themselves to to prayer and to to preaching. So once again, while this may not be a fully formed church in Acts chapter six, we do see. Uh, a division of labors and a, and a focus on responsibilities, namely uh, sent out ones preaching and praying, and church church leadership. In this this regard, uh, the men that were chosen, uh, which which should be, in my opinion, considered the first deacons, because the apostles uh, were said we are not we don't need to wait tables, and the word. Deacon means to be a waiter. And so my assumption is this: these were the very first deacons as the church is beginning to form, form, form into what we now understand a church to be. And so these men were to care for the needs of the church. And so what we see here is that sent out ones preach and pray, local churches, they take care of the people, the felt needs of the people. And uh, ministering uh, more in, in on, on a daily hands-on basis to the needs of the people. Then we we see Philip going out from there. Philip, one of those those men who were selected in Acts chapter six, uh, in Acts chapter seven, and uh, after the or after the or Acts chapter eight, after the uh, martyrdom of Stephen, uh, Philip goes out and he's preaching. Still no church, but. Uh, the disciples from, from, or the apostles from Jerusalem come out and they lay their hands on them and they continue with the teaching. Uh, that continues pretty much the way it is until Antioch. 
And in Antioch, we see a church for the first time. You know, we have the Jerusalem church, of course, and it is, it's continuing to evolve. But in Antioch, we see that Antioch is actually a church that's been planted by the exiles from Jerusalem. We see because of the persecution of the Christians in Acts chapter 9 by Saul and the other religious leaders in Jerusalem that there is a great dispersion of, of Christians uh, out of Jerusalem for fear of their lives. But Luke records that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So these are those who have been discipled by the apostles from Acts chapter 2 to Acts through Acts chapter 8. That, that period of time, that indefinite period of time, these are men and women who have sat under that, that teaching. They've been, they're not sent out in the same sense, but they are dispersed out of, as exiles, out of Jerusalem. But Luke records that they are gospelizing, they're good-newsing people as they go. And that's their work, that, that as they go, they're, they're telling people about Jesus, about the gospel, and these ones that are the exiles. The church in Antioch is a result of that, Acts chapter 11, at, uh, that exiles planted the church in Antioch as they were gospelizing people in Antioch. Up to this point, as Luke records, nobody is sharing the gospel with anybody but, non-Jew, uh, but Jews. Non-Jews, the, the Gentiles are not hearing it. Now, of course, uh, uh, Philip shares with the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. But with pure Gentiles, no one is actually sharing with them yet until we get to Antioch. And then in Acts chapter 13, there is a fully formed church as it appears. Of course, uh, Barnabas is sent to Antioch uh, to check on the new work that is going there. He confirms that it is legitimate. He goes and gets... Saul uh, and brings him back to Antioch and they're there and they're teaching for for a year and uh, they're together with three other men. The five of them make up a leadership of this local church and they're all worshiping and serving together. And the Holy Spirit says upon them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. And so they pray and they fast, they put their hands upon them, they send them out along with John Mark and they begin their first missionary journey. And that takes them through uh, Asia Minor. And as they go, uh, of course, there, there's lots of persecution. Some believe, some, many do not. Uh, but what we see is that in that first journey, they, they come to Lystra and to Derby, And, uh, of course, Paul is, is stoned. And I believe he was stoned to death. That refer, what I believe to when he refers to his called up into heaven um, that he does not know about, uh, doesn't quite understand. I believe that he was killed in the moment in Lystra. Uh, but God raises him back up. He goes back in, he does, and, and then he moves on to Derby. And then on their way back through, back to Antioch, they go back through and they appoint leadership and give them some basic, uh, instruction. And they leave and go back to Antioch and they report back to Antioch. And they're there. And then they go back to, in, in Acts chapter 15, all of the Christians gather together in Jerusalem for the council, Jerusalem council. And we see this, this becoming more and more and more evolved over time. 
Paul and his subsequent journeys, he goes into places and he gathers groups and he lead, he, he disciples those groups and he points leadership and he moves on to the next community and he does the same. And then he begins to write letters back to those churches and so forth and so on. And so we see within the book of Acts, this progression from Acts chapter one, chapter two, what happens in, and then as through the dispersion of the, of the Jerusalem Christians out, the, the planting of churches all around, beginning with the church in Antioch, going through Asia Minor and into Europe, through the churches that were planted in Greece. And what we see here is this evolving idea that disciple making is best done through church planting. Why? Because the disciples, the apostles, whenever possible, left churches behind. And these churches had doctrine. They had religious practices. They had a defined leadership. None of them had a church building. But that's not to say that they weren't that they didn't have to have a church building. Um, when they were meeting in the temple and then they got moved out of that and they were meeting in homes, uh, maybe because of the persecution they couldn't, or, or, or the lack of necessity in the moment, they didn't need a building. But what we do see is here is Pauline, or let's just say apostolic, uh, disciple making in the book of Acts is best described as, as church planting. And so that is the foundation for what we, for our strategy that sent out once plant churches. And what does that mean? Churches that have defined leadership. Now, now Paul, uh, still maintained some form of authority over those local churches that we don't quite understand and, and may not necessarily be, uh, be healthy at least for us to, to, to tr- attempt to do. But what we do see here is this. He, he quickly transitioned the leadership of these churches to local leaders. And you think about it. In every place, he appointed elders. Like, even if he'd just been there for a few weeks. Now, now maybe we, we wouldn't do that today, but we, we would still value the, the importance of local leaders. Why? Because in our context specifically, we want local leaders because they know the language and they know the culture and they have rapport with the people and it's reproducible. Other questions that we've faced is because other missionaries have done it, they've come and started a church and they've been the pastor of it. In fact, here in this community, we're often asked, where is your church and when does your church meet? And we have to tell them we're not really a church and we're not pastors that that are that oversee a church were were missionaries were sent out ones we start churches and we train up pastors and so uh in our specific strategy with the healthy church uh formation as the end goal what we see is when we get to the the later phases of uh, phases three and four uh our focus now is teaching these people and empowering their leaders and so uh, we have so we have chosen to do all of our ecclesial ecclesiology training with the group as a whole instead of with just the leader. Why? Because we want the church, the people, to know what a church is and what a church should be doing, and we also want them to know uh, what a church is supposed to be doing not just for their benefit, but for the benefit of the pastor, because if the pastor is uh, not doing something biblically, we want them to know it. And so uh, our strategy is focused on training them up to know what a, good, a healthy church is supposed to look like and then empowering them to be it. We do believe that, um, uh, that they have the same word as we do. 
in the same spirit that we do. And uh, they have the, the community of faith. And we look to the example of Scripture as our guide, and we see that Paul trusted the Holy Spirit. Now understand this. When I say that we even have the same word as we do, they, they had the instruction from Paul, the letters from Paul. They had, uh, in many cases, the, the, the Old Testament. But what does it mean? It means that if we truly do believe that the Holy Spirit is in this work, then we can trust the Holy Spirit is going to protect his work, specifically if we stay involved and connected to it. That doesn't mean that we have to stay the primary teachers and doesn't mean that we have to uh, stay in this community forever, but it does mean that we need to remain uh, connected to them in various ways over the course of many years and helping them connect with other Christians and in the area uh, so that they can continue to bounce ideas. I think the the Acts 15 model of the Jerusalem Council is very important that can be applied in all cultures, uh, that whenever there is a debate, uh, specifically uh, in a culture that is receiving the gospel, pretty young in the faith, the culture as a whole is young in the faith, that teaching them to gather together with other Christians and have constructive theological debate uh, is very healthy, and so we want to connect them with other people so that they can do that. Uh, perhaps if you are working with uh, Mistex in the United States, you can connect them with other uh, more established churches, or even uh, we know of a church in Alabama that is actually now a, a, a Southern Baptist church and connected to uh, the Association of State Convention and the National Convention. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, they are fully uh, a fully autonomous church, and 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 so that is why we do church planning, uh, because it seems to be that uh, disciple making in small groups is the New Testament model, and so hopefully that's helpful for you. Uh, gives you a little insight into our thought processes. Uh, I appreciate being able the opportunity to be able to to share with you this week. Check back with me in coming weeks as I share a little bit more about your, our uh, red light, green light strategy and about abiding and how that uh, uh, empowers our mission here in this place. Until next time, uh, God bless you and talk to you soon.